0: everybody, this is Mike Van Meter and welcome to Recovery is Possible. And this episode of Recovery is Possible is brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health, where there are endless possibilities for recovery. Retreat provides quality care at their leading mental health and substance use treatment centers, which are designed to offer patients truly personalized and comprehensive programs that are tailored to the needs. So Retreat Substance Use and Mental Health Treatment Centers in Palm Beach County, Florida, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, New Haven, Connecticut do everything in their power to ensure that patients receive the highest quality treatment in a safe and comfortable setting. So reach out today at retreatbehavioralhealth.com or call at 855-802-6600 for more information. Uh, good folks, and reach out to them if, if you need help. That's uh, retreatbehavioralhealth.com. Folks, and today I want to talk about this idea of powerlessness over addiction. You know, you hear that a lot uh, in 12-step recovery circles. And, um, you know... I get that question quite a bit from patients. You know, are we powerless over drugs and alcohol? And um, is this a disease or is it really a moral issue? And I've talked about this before. And, you know, really it's a little bit of both if you think about it. And the reason why I say it's a little bit of both is because in the beginning, when you don't know about the disease model of addiction and you're not aware of the genetic pre-uploading that exists and how your brain is being hijacked, um, that is a decision that you make to, to use drink or drugs in the beginning. But, you know, really what happens is your brain becomes hijacked and there's a lot of changes that happen in your brain and people need to understand that. And when that change occurs, then it's very, very difficult to stop using drugs or alcohol without some pretty serious intervention and changing of your life. So, you know what? Um, So this whole concept of powerlessness, you know, suggests that addicts have lost the ability to control uh, their drug or alcohol use and the addiction's taken over their lives. And I think that anybody that has come into a treatment center completely understands that. When we talk about step one of, of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, that step one covers this idea of powerlessness and unmanageability. Powerlessness and unmanageability. And we understand when we come into a treatment facility that our lives have become unmanageable. I don't think there's any question about that. But this idea of powerlessness seems to perplex a lot of people, and we have to demystify that. And, you know... Um, we're going to talk about the several reasons why addiction can be described as a loss of power over use. And one of the major factors is that drugs and alcohol can cause changes in the brain that make it difficult for individuals to control their cravings and impulses. And so that's what we have to understand is that there's a lot of neuroplasticity in the brain, and the brain changes. It really does changes, and those neural pathways uh, cause us to remember that. The pleasure came from a particular area, and what happens is you get um, endorphins and dopamine that is released into your system once you use drugs or alcohol. That increases to the point, and, and remember, dopamine is going to be a hormone that gives you this this sense of of pleasure. And when we keep spiking dopamine levels in our system, those dopamine levels can uh, actually outpace dopamine levels released regard in, in relation to things that other things that we do that are pleasurable for example the sex act you know i tell patients all the time or ask them rather you know what at the at the height of your drinking or drugging have you gotten to the point to where you don't even enjoy the sex act that much in other words you can have relations with your partner or you use how many of you use drugs or alcohol instead of of having the relations with your 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 loved one. And and it's surprising how many patients actually say, yeah, that's the case. I would rather use drugs or alcohol than be with my partner. And the reason for that is because of the increased dopamine levels that are released, and it surpasses the amount of dopamine that's released in the uh, sex act. And it's not uncommon at all for patients to come in and talk about how uh, they feel like When they give up drugs or alcohol, they feel like they're going through a divorce. They feel like they are leaving a relationship, almost like a relationship with a person. Very, very common. And that's always been interesting to me because if you think about... Being in mourning, and patients will talk about that often, where they feel like they're in a state of mourning after having to give up uh, drugs or alcohol. And if you think about it, we mourn the loss of people or living things. Like you might mourn the loss of a dog or a pet. But certainly a person, if you have gone through a divorce or if you've had a death in the family or someone close to you, you mourn the loss of that person. But oftentimes, patients will talk about how they are mourning the loss of drugs or alcohol, almost like it's a relationship that they had with a, a human being. And that's because of that pleasure reward system that has taken over in our brains. And now... You couple that with the genetic pre-uploading or genetic predisposition towards alcohol, and that uh, predisposition leads our brains to override the natural instinct to survive. For example, alcohol is a poison to every cell of your body. You know, your body should actually reject alcohol because it's a poison. It's very damaging to your body. And every cell of your body, as a matter of fact. But when we're talking about the brain and the chemicals that are in the brain and the, the all of the chemicals and the vitamins and minerals and the things that we need for our brain to... Uh, operate efficiently and effectively, they're diminished. For example, GABA levels are dropped, serotonin levels are dropped, and these have to do with the feelings of wellness. Um, when you're drinking alcoholically, if we're just talking about alcohol here, uh, the B series of vitamins are not absorbed correctly into your body. And, and that would be like one you know, vitamins B, 1, 3, 6, and 12. And 1 and 3 have to do with uh, neurological functioning, and they are greatly reduced. And, and oftentimes that's when, you know, when people come into treatment, they don't really act rational, and you think, wow, that person's acting crazy. Well, it's not by accident. It's because their brain has been, de- de- you know, it, it it's deleted the vitamins and the minerals that it's needed to operate effectively, and that has to be restored. That's why when you come into a treatment center, oftentimes... Uh, you're given massive doses of vitamin, vitamins like niacin, thiamin, uh, the B series of vitamins. And th- those are put into your system to try to restore your body to it, uh, home- restore it to homeostasis and get your brain operating correctly again, because you're malnourished and you've been using drugs and alcohol, which have depleted these things. And we have to get that back up. So... When you're in, in that state where all of this has been depleted and you're battling that genetic predisposition and you're battling the, the neuropathways that have been challenged and altered and changed, then it takes time for that to repair. And when we keep using over and over, it, that's what gives us that sense of powerlessness. We put drugs and alcohol into our system and then we can't stop using because we've become dependent upon drugs or alcohol. And then, of course, the withdrawals from, whether it's alcohol, heroin, fentanyl, uh, you name it, any of these drugs, the withdrawal is just so unpleasant that most people tap out and don't continue uh, in treatment after they go through that unpleasantness. And that's what we have to get through. That's why early recovery is so, so difficult. And it may take about a year to a year and a half, depending on how toxic you are, it may even take up to two years for your body to adjust and reprogram itself. Getting all those vitamins, those minerals back into your system, and then allowing your brain to heal the neural pathways. Recovery takes time and you just have to be patient. It is very, very unpleasant in the beginning. Now, The best thing that you can do, and a piece of advice that I can give you, is to throw yourself into a program of recovery and do everything that you can do in the beginning of recovery to to get into and stay in recovery. It's painful, it's awful, it's very unpleasant physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way you can imagine, but you have to do it. And the sooner you get into recovery, the better the sooner the better, and the longer you can stay abstinent from drugs or alcohol, the better off you're going to be, and the higher the likelihood that you're going to get into long-term recovery, if if, uh, if that's something that you desire, right? Now, instead of sort of like trying to reduce the amount that you use, it's best to just try to not to use, because what happens is when you put drugs or alcohol into your system, it alters your perception. You become a different person, do you not? I mean, after all, how many of you have been at a party, you know, you drank too much or you drugged too much, and the next day you, you find that you have to go around and apologize to everybody and you say, hey, look, I wouldn't have said this to you or I wouldn't have done that had I not been drinking. That wasn't me. I was drinking. Have you heard the phrase, that was the alcohol talking? And the chances are you probably wouldn't do or say the things that you said if you had not been under the influence. There's truth to that. It's because we all recognize that it changes your behavior. And the problem is if you continue to try to moderate your use while you're also trying to get sober is every time you do that, you become a different person and you, you think differently. Now it is, I think best just to throw yourself into a program and get it over with. I mean, after all, if you go to the beach, you know, and and it's still cold out or the water's still cold. And have you ever gone to the beach and seen people just walk up and try to dip their toes into the water and maybe go up to their knees and maybe splash themselves? And they complain about how difficult and hard it is and then they walk away. That's too cold. I'm not going to try to get into the water. And it takes them so long to get into the water, as opposed to the next person who just says, you know what? I know it's going to be cold. I'm. It's just going to, I'm going to get this over with. I'm going to run up and I'm going to dive into the ocean, get it over with. And they feel that pain in the beginning. But then what happens? If you've ever uh, gone into the water when it's been very, very cold, after about 30 seconds, you're like, hey, it isn't that bad because your body adapts and you become accustomed to the cold and then you just swim as if it was nothing. But meanwhile, you've already been swimming for 20 or 30 minutes when the the person over there that is just splashing themselves is still complaining about how cold it is and it takes them forever to get in the water and they deprive themselves of the enjoyment they would have had if if they would have just gone into the water. Well, recovery is kind of the same way. It's going to be uncomfortable in the very, very beginning. But then once you get going, you're going to enjoy it. And you won't waste all the time and the years that others take to try to get into the water. And they keep playing around. And it's painful. It's like a death by a thousand cuts. It's best just to throw yourself in there. Okay? So, you know what? All of these issues that we're talking about with the powerlessness is also related to something I mentioned earlier, and that's the genetic uploading and the genetic predisposition. Uh, There's no question the vast majority of people that have addiction issues have that genetic predisposition, meaning that addiction was somewhere else in their family line, somewhere else in the family line. It doesn't mean that every generation had it. It just means it's in the line somewhere. And you have no control over that. What happens is if you have that genetic predisposition towards addiction – and I'll just take alcohol, for example. In alcohol, we know that uh, when you go through the physiological processing of alcohol, as it goes through your body, it, it goes in as ethyl alcohol and comes out as carbon dioxide. In the mid-state, it's in, in a form known as acetylaldehyde. And when it's in that state, acetaldehyde in alcoholics, it creates like a heroin-like substance that gives you that euphoria, that only alcoholics experience. Non-alcoholics don't experience the same feeling that alcoholics experience. In fact, if you think about it, if you do not know people that have two or three drinks and they think, oh my goodness, I'm getting tingly, I don't like it, I don't like that feeling, I feel like I'm losing control, and they stop. Well, that's because their bodies are wired correctly. They're wired correctly. Their bodies shut down the alcohol, and if they drink too much, they'll throw it up. It's because their bodies recognize that this is a poison and they need to stop and purge. Not so with the alcoholic. What happens with the alcoholic is not only do they not feel uncomfortable, but they feel a euphoria and it's a very intense euphoria, almost like what a heroin addict experiences. And you want more and more and more until you eventually ruin everything in your life and die. What's happening there is that the signals being processed in the brain are the diametric opposite of what they should be. Instead of shutting the poison down, the brain says, we need more of this. How much more? Well, a whole lot more. And more is better. And we will keep going until it's out or we are out. And if you're a good alcoholic, you always make sure that you're not out. But that's the way that it works. Now, that's not good. It really isn't good. It means that there is no off switch. And it's the, their old saying is, it's not the hundredth strength that kills you, it's the first strength that kills you. And when you're in a program of recovery, the entire goal is to not pick up that first drink because that's what triggers the chain of events, which leads, leads to all the problems that you have if you fit into this category. So it's the answer you don't pick up the first drink. So, what it boils down to is you have no control over the genetic predisposition. You have no control over how your body processes alcohol. Just like somebody that suffers from allergies from pollen, you know, once it comes out in the trees in the spring and you start having um, sneezing fits and, and having snot and everything come out of your nose, you have no control over that. Ironically, in many circles, what we have is, in relation to alcohol, is considered an allergy. And an allergy is defined by a, some, your a, your body having an abnormal reaction to a substance. And what I just described to you, in fact, is an abnormal reaction to a substance. So it's, a, it's a, an allergy, and you have no control over that. So the question is, are we powerless over our use of alcohol? And the answer is, you, if, you, if you fit into this category that I'm talking about, yes. So where does the moral part come out? If you've had a period of abstinence and you go back out and you drink after years of sobriety and you know all the things that we're talking about, you understand the things that we're talking about, and you make that decision to drink again, then I would say that that actually is a moral issue because you made the decision to do this despite the knowledge of all of the things that we have just talked about. But it all comes back to the powerlessness. And always remember this, that addiction is a disease of the mind and the body. Of the mind and the body. And it's as much a disease of the mind as it is of the body. It's the disease that tells you that you don't have it. It's the disease that even when you do recognize that you have it, you minimize it. That's why we always come up with excuses. It's not that bad. Alcoholics don't drink beer. They drink hard liquor. That's a myth. I'm a functional alcoholic. If you even have to use that phrase, you're not functional. There's nothing functional about it. And in fact, I always challenge the patients that if I, you know, I always ask them, if I was to bring your your loved one in here, your children or your significant other, do you? and I said to them that you told me you were a functional, functional alcoholic, what would their reaction be? And almost to a person, they all start giggling and go, yeah, he or she would have something else to say about it, or certainly the children. There's nothing functional about it. And the reason why we use that term is because we want to minimize it. Our brain doesn't want us to realize that it is bad that it is as bad as it is. So, folks, if you're in this category, you're powerless over drugs and alcohol. And the best thing to do is to stop and get a, get, a, get into a program that will help you stay stopped. And that's a that's a community. That's a recovery community. People that are supporting you. If you need to get a therapist and work on uh, the causes for you wanting to numb out, wanting to escape, wanting to isolate, we need to address those issues as well. And that's very important that we do that. But if you are someone that has even needed to consider stopping, you probably do need to stop. And that really is the definition of powerlessness over this. Because if we could stop of our own willpower, we would have. But we can't. And that's why we need help. We need support. We need guidance. We need community. That's what recovery is all about. And so, folks, with that, this episode have has been presented to you by... Um, retreat behavioral health where there are endless possibilities for recovery and there really are retreat provides quality care at their leading mental health and substance use treatment centers which are designed to offer patients truly personalized and comprehensive programs that are tailored to their needs so retreat substance use and mental health treatment centers in palm beach county florida florida lancaster county pennsylvania and new haven connecticut do everything in their power to ensure that patients receive the highest quality treatment in a safe and comfortable setting. So reach out today at retreatbehavioralhealth.com or call at 855-802-6600 for more information. And folks, with that, this is Recovery is Possible. I'm Mike Van Meter. Thank you for joining me tonight. I know you got a lot out of this. Guys, you can do it. Recovery is possible. See you next time.